Now when a woman prays, she's speaking to God. When a woman prophesies, she's speaking for God. So God has said, when you speak to me, or when you speak for me, I want you to have your head covered. Now you might say, God, why? I'm not sure that God is obligated to tell you why. Welcome to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez, and we will be continuing our chapter-by-chapter overview through 1 Corinthians. And joining me to address a very controversial topic, one of the most disputed passages in the New Testament, the passage on head coverings, an episode I'm calling Order During Worship. I have my brother in Christ, Joshua Camper. How are you, bro? I am blessed and looking forward to meeting Jesus face to face. Amen. And by God's grace, you're living like it, bro. Thank you. I'm that, glad. And I'm glad you said by God's grace. Yeah. Because <laughs> you would have said that right after. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so let's let's just dive in because yeah. I'm not going to spend time doing no introduction sure. because the majority of the time will be spent unpacking this text yeah so by way of review chapter 11 actually begins a new section so as you probably heard before i split first corinthians up into three sections so chapters one through four well before i even go go into that uh this is something that i got from you actually first corinthians is essentially church 101 it's how to do church now that they've been gifted by the holy spirit and have individually been graced by a specific gift in the Holy Spirit, they now have to navigate life, culture, society, being indwelt believers. And so Paul writes this as a response to uh, reports from Chloe and her household, as he he mentions in chapter one. And so the way that I kind of split it up is, I split it up into three sections. So chapters one through four is conflict, Mm. conflict in the church. Chapters five and six is corruption. Mm. So he addresses several sins, uh, tells them not to sue each other, and you know he he gets into it. Chapters seven through sixteen, he addresses confusion. Mm. So chapters seven through sixteen, he's answering questions, he's he's rebuking them, he's clarifying some things, so he's clearing up all the confusion. So conflict, corruption, and confusion. And so at the start of eleven all the way to the end of 14, so 11, 12, 13, and 14, he kind of focuses on worship. Right. And so he he unpacks what it should look like to be orderly during worship. Mm. And so this topic dominates the rest of the letter up until they get to chapter 15, where he kind of addresses the confusion about the resurrection. Right. But in chapter chapters 11 through 14, he addresses head coverings, the Lord's Supper, and the use of spiritual gifts, all of which explain how to be orderly in the church. Right. Which is which makes sense because he's he's writing a letter explaining how to do church. Right. And so because like you say like you say all the time and to the students, God is a God of order. Damn. And so why wouldn't his body mm be orderly as well and so yeah so this is what dominates the rest of the letter and so as a short introduction to what this chapter is about so in corinth a mark of being respectable during worship and not being a distraction 
was the proper use of head coverings. Mm. So whatever the reason, Paul is addressing what seemed to be a liberty or a Christian freedom in women not wearing head coverings during worship. And so in verses one and two, it concludes that previous section on his conversation about Christian liberties. Mm. So chapter eight, nine, and 10, he's kind of unpacking this issue of Christian liberties. Right. Now that we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, saved out of a sinful past, can I, will I, what does it look like for me to continue engaging in certain activities that are not necessarily inherently sinful? Right. And he unpacks that. So uh, as we dive into chapter 11, we're talking about church order, right? which is why this issue of women wearing head coverings is important because when they didn't, it was a distraction. When right. you have a distraction, you're because God is a God of order and you're being disorderly, right. you're actually being ungodly. Sure. Right. And so that's kind of the little the little introduction I wanna I wanna throw in there before we get into discussing the text. Right, right. So without any further ado, uh, would you mind reading chapter 11 in its entirety. Sure. Praise God for the word. That was a great um, intro too, by the way. It was really um, informative and I feel like it put it all within context, which is important. Yeah. Appreciate, so, you. Yeah. Appreciate your boss. Yeah. God's grace. God's grace. <laughs> Amen. So First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, this is going to be read out of the um, NASB. So if you guys want to open your Bibles, you could follow along too as well. Um, so verse one, and it reads, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I handed them down to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For it is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, have her also cut her hair off. However, if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, have her cover her head. Verse 7. For a man should not have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Verse 10. Therefore, the woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Verse 12. For as the woman originated from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does even nature itself not teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her? For her hair is given to her as a covering. Verse 16. But if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor have the churches of God. Verse 17. Now in giving this next instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there also have been factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For when you eat, each one takes his own supper first, and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What am I to say to this? Shall I praise you? In this, I do not praise you. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number are asleep, 31. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, have him eat at home so that you do not come together for judgment. As to the remaining matters, I will give instruction when I come. Amen, bro. Amen. That was a good reading. You, you do public reading a lot, huh? God's grace. Amen. Uh, that was really good. So I want to tackle two things. Sure. So head coverings mm. and the Lord's Supper. Both of them are being done incorrectly. So Paul corrects them and... As he corrects them, his correction is difficult to accept as we navigate through the culture. So I like how he said, so like I said before, verses one and two, he's kind of concluding the previous section. And verse one, he says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. And I heard this this quote a long time ago, and I think it's very helpful because when we think about imitating Jesus, a lot of us, and I hear this from some students pretty consistently throughout the week, that it's difficult to be like Jesus because he was perfect, right? He was the son of God. And so our automatic inclination as sinful human beings is like, well, that's impossible. I cannot be perfect like Jesus. So right. it's actually an un unrealistic expectation for you to expect me to do that sure. or to be like him. Right. So the quote that I that I remember from a while ago, it reads, Jesus is the standard. Paul is the example. Mm. We are the proof. Mm. Amen. So Jesus is the standard. Paul is the example. We are the proof. Mm. Very triune. So we make it visible for other people to see. Paul here, 
puts himself as the example, knowing with the understanding that Jesus is the standard, right. which is why he says, be imitators of me. And he doesn't include a period there. Right. It's not point blank period. Right, right. He yeah. says, comma, just as I also am of Christ. Mm-hmm. So he's actually saying, come with me, be like me as I imitate Christ. And sometimes uh, I think this is valuable because sometimes we need mentors and human examples to help grasp what obedience as a sinful human looks like. Right. This is what it looks like to be fallen, mm-hmm. but redeemed right. in, a, in the most practical manner. And I think, I think you've, you've said it several times before that Christianity is more often taught than more often caught than taught. Yeah. Yeah. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love, uh, I'll start with the quote out of a hundred men, um, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that quote because it's a reality. We claim Christianity with our mouths, but the truth is it's lived in our, it's seen in our lives more than what we, what we actually talk about. And just exactly what you said, Paul says, be imitator of me, just as I also am an imitator of Christ. You're like, well, how does that look like? Then look at Paul's life. Yeah. Right. Look at Paul's life. Look at the impact that he had. And, and so for us as Christians, our faith is more lived than it is talked. Right? I can talk my faith all day long, but it's not my words to an extent that's going to help someone live a more godly life. They're going to be more impacted by how I live my life than what I say to them. And I have plenty of examples from my own life where people will come to me and say, I just watched you. Yeah. Like you discipled me without telling me a word. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow, praise God. But it showed the power of setting an example. Right. And, and that word Paul uses is be an imitator in, in, in some of his other epistles, letters, was it Philippians? I think it was a, a lesson you taught. You said, the, I think it was actually titled The the Power of an Example, like one oh, of the yeah. subtitles, right? Um, oh, yeah. Don't, don't uh, never underestimate, underestimate the power of yeah, an example. Right. And that was Paul. Okay. Now, obviously, Paul's not the, um, the perfect person, right? But he did set a really good example for us to follow, yeah. not just his words, but the way he lived his life. And we even have a scripture that, through the Holy Spirit and Scripture, don't just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word, right? right? It's about our example that we set by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, like Paul, like he does here, we got to correct some really bad theology. Dun, dun, dun. And so, <laughs> I say that with kind of tongue-in-cheek, because depending on your tradition, we may give some bad theology in your eyes as we go through this text. So, uh, But God is gracious. And so he calls us to be uh, like his son, Jesus, who was also gracious. So we do that, you do that, and we exemplify the unity of the of the church body together. So Amen. verse 2, he says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to traditions, just as I delivered them to you. Traditions refers to beliefs and practices about God that are common in all churches. So this is actually pretty... This is encouraging because this reminds us that the Christian faith is a historical one. Right. That these traditions, these teachings, these practices were not something that we came up with hundreds of years after the rest of the the apostles died. Right. It was actually it actually began as soon as they it, I mean even when Jesus was here but as soon as the Holy Spirit indwelt believers. Right. They began to establish these traditions. And so Paul here is saying, like, I actually delivered them to you because they were delivered to me first. And this is something that he says at the beginning of his conversation about the Lord's Supper. He's like, this is what I delivered to you because 
it was given to me first. Right. And so let's get into it. So yeah. verse three says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Let's go into verse four. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Mm. It sounds like some chauvinist stuff. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so head in the Bible has three meanings. It can either mean like your physical head, sure. like your cranium, authority over or origin of. Right. So when it says, so in verse three, where it says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So using the definition of origin of with verse verse three We'll say the origin of every man is Christ. The origin of woman is man, as we see in Genesis 2. And the origin of Christ is God, Christ being the Messiah. So the idea of sending a savior, the Messiah, was God's idea. Right. Right. That is what it means when like, it says God, uh, and God is the head of Christ. Because right. the origin of wisdom, the origin of of the the idea of the messiah is from god himself sure. like he came yep. up with that yeah so that is our theological teaching right that is what paul is giving us and the church at corinth to explain what he's about to go into yeah so can, can you kind of help us understand why that even matters right yeah so he's making an argument from authority right is that the origin of something Okay. Whenever I always tell the kids, like whenever you want to get to the bottom of something, go to the beginning, right? Yeah. Go to design and purpose of why something is or why or where something came from. You always go down to purpose and design, like where did it come from, type of thing. And um, I love how he starts with that because he gives he starts with the divine order of the Godhead, right? He he begins with Christ and God, right? We know that God has always existed, and then. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, right? So that's the whole Christ came from God type of thing, right? Um, but that was divine, and that was order, right? And then he sets it that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman, right? And the, and the head of every woman is man, right? So there, there's this divine order that we see that it wasn't, I love it because it wasn't our idea. And so Paul, Paul starts with the authority comes from God. I didn't make it up. I didn't have a dream. Mm -hmm. I didn't borrow it from the culture. I'm not trying to adapt to what's happening around us. I'm getting it straight from divine order. Right. And what I love about this, he starts it with what Paul actually does. It's beautiful too. He gives us the key to unlock the context. Right? What are you guys talking about? The keys in verse three. Mm -hmm. Divine headship from the Godhead. Right. And... I would have to say that man, when when he says uh, man is the head of woman, that does not simply mean that all men are over all women. Sure. So yeah. he's not saying that you can't have a female boss. Right. He's not right. saying that, you know, I can rule over your wife right. because I'm a man, right? It, right? It's not all men over all women for all of history. It's actually when these words are grouped together in the Greek, it usually refers to husbands and wives. Right. So the head of every wife is her husband. Right. And we see 
we see these words grouped together in the Greek in First Corinthians seven when it's talking about husbands and wives and their relationships to and their relations together, Ephesians five and then Titus one. Right. So it doesn't necessarily describe inferiority, but function. Right. Sure. Yep. Yep. So, in your scholarly opinion. <laughs> Verse 4 says, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. So are you telling me that when I wear a hat, mm-hmm. when I'm leading our youth group, right. that I'm disgracing my headship? Yeah, it's what Paul said. I take word for what it's worth. No, <laughs> totally just kidding. Um, looking at the key, right, to unlock it, um, he gives us something that is a divine, what I call a divine principle, right? Um, and I think... In this passage, we do have to make the distinction of principle and custom, okay? This eternal principle of um, the Godhead, the pattern in the Godhead of this submission, right, is that the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Holy Spirit. In order for the Son to come, he had to obey the Father, right? Mm -hmm. In order for the Holy Spirit to come, he had to obey the Son, right? He said, I will, John 16, I will send him to you, right? I will. Jesus says he'll send. Other passages say the Father. They're unified, of course. And so this is this is divine that comes down. That's the principle. And then it seemed as if that principle in that custom, that's what it looked like in that custom, is that in that custom, in the Corinthian church during that time, the way that principle looked was a man, when he prophesied or prayed in the sense of corporate worship or church, right? First mm-hmm. Corinthians Church 101, in the context of church, that was interpreted as a disgrace if he covered his head, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So to kind of summarize it, like for man's head to be covered is to bring shame to his head, which is Christ. Right. And for woman's head to not be covered is to bring shame to her head, which is man, which is what he, he goes into verse five. So he brings in the women. Right. So men are not to have their head covered. Verse five says, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. Right. And then he says, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Right. So I think the the men having a covering in that context could mean a few things. Sure. So one thing it could mean is that when the Roman men would go into pagan worship, right. they wore a toga mm-hmm. with a hood. Yeah. So men having their head covered was connected to their the the Roman pagan worship. So that's one uh, interpretation of men having their head covered. Obviously, because they're not wearing baseball caps or nothing like right. that. Right. Yeah. Another interpretation was their hair length, mm. which indicated that they displayed the desire to acquire female attributes, sure. linking them to hom- homosexuality right. and cross-dressing. Obviously, that both of those things are condemned even in even in the old testament and then the third one is it just simply demonstrated rebellion right that you're essentially saying i'm under no authority whether it's rome or christ or traditional Mm -hmm. worship guidelines or even the rest of society rest of society i'm in rebellion i refuse to walk i refuse to walk as though under some type of authority right and so obviously they're not wearing baseball caps or you know those nice looking hats that that the uh, contemporary worship leaders wear right, right it's right. it's it's contextual so how do we navigate through these differences right how do we navigate through because it's 
it's obvious that we have walked away from this type of encouragement. Sure. Right? Traditionally, men, in the effort to be respectful, right? Even, even outside of praying or prophesying, in an effort to be respectful, if they walk into a home, they take off their hat. Right. Take off their coat, whatever. Sure. But so often, we used to take off our hats before prayer. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, some still do. Yeah. yeah, some still do. And there has been and there is this sense of respect before we pray. Right. But in recent times and over, over the course of the last few years, we've actually walked away from that. So how do we navigate through that? Because it seems like we still kind of obey that. Right. Like, hey, take off your hat, right? right. Like if you're wearing a hat and we're about to pray, like you sure. take it off. But we seem to have forgotten the flip side for women. Right. Like we don't we're not telling the women to put a head covering before we pray. Right. So how do we navigate through that? Yeah. No, that's that's great and it's um it's not a simple one size fits all solution and it really goes down to the I wouldn't even say the culture or custom. I think it goes down to the navigation and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Right? There is a divine order here given to us in scripture that originates with God himself mm-hmm. and his character and his attributes and the order that's in the Godhead, right? And then it's handed down through scripture in corporate worship and prayer. And what I love about the word of God is it's what's best for us. Right. And I was telling the students the other day in my class, and we're talking about the Ten Commandments and the first commandment, thou shalt know their gods before me. And what's interesting about that is is we wonder, is God just this very glory hungry, um, you better worship me and me alone or else, uh, is that why he gave the command? No. One is, yeah, he deserves the glory. It makes, there's no other, there's no other God that exists, right? He's the one true living God. There's none like him. That's in one sense. Yeah, that's true. But the reality of no other gods before me is that God wants what's best for us and he's what's best for us. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so because he loves us, he's given us divine statutes that actually fit the purpose and design in which we were created. So going back to this, it's the same thing is that he has designed a way for us to worship. That is how we were designed to worship and pray. And these things become, pinning on the culture and the way they're, they're worked out, become a distraction to our design. And yeah. that's what we're dealing with. And I believe, I'm going I'm to step on the side of the mic because this is going to be my opinion. I believe we quench the blessing of God. I believe we, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't consider the pattern that's been handed down to us in scripture in regards to reverence, I believe it has to do with reverence in a worship service, right? And there's a Psalm, I think it's in Psalm 89, it says that God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints, Mm. right? So it's not necessarily uh, elite. So let's just, for example, let me put a hypothetical out there. So it, it wouldn't be legalistic for us to gather or for us to gather as church leaders and be like, hey, this is what we're going to start implementing. No more hats for the boys. Nothing on your head when we're praying and prophesying or, or through the preaching of God's word. That's for you men. And for the women, we're going to require head coverings during worship. If you don't have one, we will provide some decent looking ones for right. you sure. to wear during worship. So it wouldn't be legalistic for us to do that. Obviously, if we do it with the right heart, and the right heart is reverence, right? Because it's outlined here in Scripture, and Paul grounds it in in the order of the Godhead, as you said. Yeah. And so you mentioned a few things that actually 
follow along with Paul's argument as he goes into verse 7 where he says, For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, Mm. but the woman is the glory of man. And so obviously we know that both men and women are made in the image of God right? because they're they're human. So we know that, but the focus here is glory. Mm. So what does glory have to do with, and I feel like you kind of answered already, but what does glory have to do with either the men having their head uncovered and the women having their hair covered. So what does glory have to right. do with that? Right. So I think it's 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 the classic question, what do you mean by glory, right? And my understanding of the glory of God is is literally his attributes expressed in creation, right? Expressed in what we can understand. And uh, one of the examples I remember that comes to mind is Moses, is when he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Yeah. And God takes him to the border of the promised land. I think it's at the end of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. He takes him to the border of the promised land. He says, you can look at it, but you can't go in. And he says, this is why. Because you failed, ultimately, paraphrase, you failed to represent my glory to the people, right? Mm-hmm. Or present me as holy to the people, mm-hmm. right? And God is extremely serious about his glory. Why? Because that's what's best for humanity. That's what's going to put us in the best place to live out our purpose and design, which is to know God, love him, worship him, and live for him. And so when you get back to the passage, if we were created in the image of God and there's an order there, that these things will diminish and misrepresent the very character and glory of the eternal God, specifically the Godhead, right? And so when you look at it within that context— and thinking about God being greatly feared in the assembly of the saints, not being petrified of being in his presence, but reverent, but also understanding he's the true and living God at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And allowing that reality to cultivate godly fear of um, bowing before him in yeah. holy reverence, right? We've just gotten so away from that, which is why I think this passage is going to seem very legalistic to some people because I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And we taught our liberty of being free in Christ thinking that free in Christ means I can do whatever I want. When really free in Christ means just what Holy Spirit gave to me in the moment, thank you, just what the reason God wanted his people out of Egypt because they could not worship me while they're in Egypt. Yeah. He says, let my people go so they can hold a feast for me in the wilderness, right? They could not worship God properly in a place full of idols right so he, he brings them out and i heard one author one proponent of this he's actually written a book on this called the cover for glory his name is dale partridge he says like what other way to be set apart publicly than for the women to have a head covering he he describes it as a visible i'm not going to quote him but he describes it as like a visible act of sanctification mm where you are visibly setting yourself apart as a worshiper of God under his authority. Right. Yeah. And so that is why we argue that it wouldn't be legalistic for sure. us to uh, propose that. Right. It would be in, in an effort to obey what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 11. Right. Uh, verse 7 kind of gave me the most trouble. Right, right, sure. Because in... A society so focused on equality between men and women, obviously, like regarding value and right. dignity, certainly equal, but regarding function and I guess purpose, right? 
glory you said that that it's the the display of god's attributes in creation right. and so because man is the glory of god man was put on earth to serve him mm-hmm. to act for in for him in the world in which it was in which he was placed sure. and then woman was created from him for him right, right. from man for man mm-hmm. as a helper yep. and so her duty so to speak is to bring uh, correct me if i'm wrong this is kind of how i'm in, i'm interpreting this her purpose is to display the attributes of the man as he imitates christ so therefore the creation of woman was designed to bring glory to the man and the reason why i'm able to, i i'm reaching that conclusion and obviously like it's not a set in stone conclusion but the reason why i i get to that point in saying that is because if we think about jesus's relationship with the church right jesus is right the son of man sure. right and the church is his bride right jesus glorifies the father mm-hmm. the church is supposed to glorify their bridegroom right the husband and so as we become more like jesus we're actually bringing glory to him right as jesus sanctifies his church he's bringing glory to the father sure and so that's kind of my thought process in understanding verse seven because that was very difficult for me to wrap my head around right like why isn't woman also the glory of god if they were made in his image both of them right and that's kind of what i have what i conclude with uh in interpreting verse seven and then he goes into so before we go any further like would you agree with that like yeah no no i think i think it makes it makes perfect sense and i believe that when he says that you know woman is the glory of man i don't think that's a conclusive statement i think it's a statement in regards to design and purpose Mm-hmm. Right, is that the woman came out of man to help man do exactly what God called man to do, right? That's why he's a helper in comparison to the animals, right? None of the animals can help bring glory to God the way that the man can because they were not created in his image. And so man was created in God's image, male and female made he them. So we know they both actually bring glory to God, but the way they do it is distinct and different. Right, that's what it is. The, yep. way, the way they do that it. They- that they reflect mm-hmm. God is different. It's different, right? Yeah, and I think this this kind of falls in line with what, what Paul says later when he says, for man does not originate right. from woman, but woman for man. Right. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Right. And I think that kind of outlines more in detail what you just said. Right, right there he presents that theology, right? right? This is what men and women were created for, and this is what they're supposed to reflect. Right. From that teaching in verse 10, he says, therefore, right. this is the reason why women should have an authority, a, a symbol of authority on her head. Right. And then he says, because of the angels. Yeah. <laughs> took it for a whole, like, that man took us around the block, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so he, gives, he, expect that, he yeah. gives a therefore, therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And then he says, because of the angels. Because angels, yeah. Yeah. So it looks like he gives first an argument from the pattern of the Godhead. Then he gives an argument from role, from gender distinction, right? Mm-hmm. From man, and then now he gives an argument about the angels, and without any context, without any knowledge of it, we're like, "Yo, where'd you go?" Right? You, you left, you mm-hmm. left the page. Um, but in fact, he doesn't. 
And so we see, uh, and I'm sure you may have it in your notes or something, but we see also in, I believe it's Peter and Ephesians. I'll read the verse from 1 Peter. 1 Peter one twelve says this, To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Right. And so there's passages of scripture that show the angels present in corporate worship, present at the creation when God created the world before he created humans, present, present there. I think Job reflects on it. And so there's something unique about the influence that we have in worship on the angels. Yeah. Right. And it's powerful and it's divine. And so he's telling us, and I think it's a great reminder that the things we do here physically on earth have spiritual impact. Right. And so when we worship, when we pray, and when we engage in those spiritual activities, eternity is impacted, mm-hmm. right? Eternity is impacted. And we see the example of in the book of Daniel, right? He's praying and the prince of Persia, they're having a spiritual war. And he's praying in 31 days. I heard you, but I was battling spiritually. There's impact going on behind the scenes in the spiritual war that we fight, right? Right. And so I believe Paul is saying... So he's giving reasons for his argument, right? Which are great because he starts with divine pattern of Godhead. Then he starts with um, gender distinction, right? How God made men and women equal but different, right? Unique but different. And then he goes into, there's another consideration for you. The angels, you can impact them, Mm -hmm. right? They're looking in, they're present in corporate worship, right? You can impact them. And so I thought that was very interesting how he brings that up. And it's also mentioned other places in scripture. Yeah, and... I was reading, because this is another verse that I was like, it's troubling. that seems <laughs> so out of left field. It's and so as I was going through commentaries, um, there were three three different interpretations. You gave the third one, okay. and I'll, I'll give the other two. Sure. Angel in the Greek, it simply means messenger. Mm, true. So the first interpretation is that Paul didn't want the uncovering of the woman's head to be a stumbling block to the messengers from other churches who would have been horrified at what was going on at the church at mm, Corinth. Right. So he's like, the other, the angels, meaning the messengers from other churches, are coming to visit Corinth and they're like, what in the world is going right. on? Like, I'm walking down the street and I see a prostitute with their head shaved and uncovered and I realize that that's their custom and then I walk into the church and I see you doing the same thing. So that was like one interpretation. Sure. The other is drawing from drawing from genesis 6 mm. where the angels who are tempted to have relations with the women right and so that was kind of That's all I went to, yeah. um the least not so popular not so popular yeah, view sure. and then the third one which i think is the the one that's most relevant here right. is that that this serves as a reminder that they are the christians in corinth are part of a god-ordered society right who worship him and who will one day judge them and worship alongside them. Right. So one commentator was saying like, don't grieve them because you're going to be the one to rule over them right. in the new heaven, new earth. Right. Like we are yeah. going to judge angels. And so he uses this saying to kind of defend the head coverings. Right. And then he gives a little nuance. He right. says, however, mm-hmm. in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman verse 12 for as the woman originates from the man so also the man has his birth through the woman and all things originate from god so 
If you're listening to this and you think the first half of the conversation has been absolutely absurd and these verses are troubling and stumble you, and from this passage, if you, as a man, if you say, well, you come from me, right? You came, like, women originated from men right. originally. If you claim to have that boast, and then if you're a woman, if you say, no, actually, you come from me, right? Right? That yeah. that what came first, chicken or egg right, type right. Yeah, of deal, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, cart and horse, yeah. <laughs> um, verse 12 is actually a great comfort mm. to all of us. Right. What Paul is essentially saying is... Although as a man, you may want to say, see, you come from me. Or as a woman, you obviously observe nature and you're like, no, you come from me. Paul here says you cannot exist outside of each other. Right. Which is important because the Corinthian church was very staunch on dividing over these issues. Sure. What Paul is essentially saying is, no, you need each other yep. to exist. So do away with that right. because it's not only are you demeaning and desacralizing each other, you're actually demeaning the unity that the Holy Spirit accomplished right. or is accomplishing now. Yeah. You're supposed to be united and orderly during worship and right. you're not because you're bickering over these minor, minor issues. Yeah. And so what I'm telling you is that you need each other. Right. You are not independent of each other. Right. You need each other, which I thought was very uh, groundbreaking considering the the aroma of division that was going on in right, Corinth. Right. And I think to, to add to that is I believe this verse is a safeguard to prevent anyone from misinterpreting what he had said before that when it came to head of man, woman, right? When it came to that, oh, well, the man rules. Oh, no, well, the woman, you can't, right? It ultimately boils down to I'm not making an argument of inferiority or superiority. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm making an argument right. of order and pattern, right? Mm -hmm. That brings glory to God. To make that very vivid, I'm going to mm -hmm. include this statement, right? Which is wonderful. You know, when I do weddings, I include this in the weddings. Like, hey, just so you know, you guys are interdependent on one another. Guess what? There's no man without the woman. There's no woman without the man. And what that means is you're better together than you are apart. In fact, you cannot exist without each other. Right. Right? And again, it points back to what? The Godhead. Mm -hmm. All of it points back to God, a human institution with a heavenly reality. And it's right here in scripture. We love it. verse 13 he says judge for yourselves is it proper for a woman to pray to god with her head uncovered verse 14 does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair it is a dishonor to him but if a woman has long hair it is glory to her there's that word glory again right. for her hair is given to her as a covering but if one is inclined to be contentious we have no other practice nor have the churches of god mm. so this kind of goes back to what I asked you in the beginning, but right this time it's referring to hair. Right. So before I asked you about men wearing hats in church, right. now I'm asking you, is it wrong, considering what we read here, is it wrong for a man to have long hair? Right. Long enough to not be able to distinguish between a woman's hair and a man, man's right. hair. Right, right. So in principle, right? If we follow the principle that is in what Paul has laid down, I believe that 
It is. Here's why. I believe it is wrong, not sinful, but it, it can lead to sin, right? right? Because it can cause people to stumble and it can misrepresent the glory of God because there's a clear distinction in gender, right? Male and female. He made them distinct. Women typically long hair, men shorter hair because God has, God has created, he's a God of order and it's orderly to be able to distinguish. Long hair is a distinguishing mark of a woman. Mm-hmm. Short hair and a beard or in, in facial hair is a distinguishing mark of a man, right? Yeah. Um, those things, right? And and God did that on purpose. Everything he does is on purpose. And so when I say, well, I guess when I say it's wrong, how about I say this? Let me rephrase that. Someone might say I'm legalistic or whatever. Here's a better wording for it. I believe it's out of order. Mm. I believe it's out of order for a, a man to have long hair and a woman to have short hair like a man. I believe yeah. it's out of order. Yeah. And... If any of the listeners disagree, we'll just say what Paul says. Yeah. If you are contentious, if you're inclined to be contentious or disagreeing, I would just like to say we have no other practice. We don't. Nor any other churches of of God. And although that may sound like super hard-hearted, but it's like you said, if we miss this, mm-hmm. we are misrepresenting God. Yeah. So like you said, it's not it's not wrong, it's not sinful, but it right. can lead to sin. And we want to get this right. Sure. It's not a salvation issue. Right. But we do want to worship God in the way that he intended for us to worship. Right. In a way that represents his glory and his orderly. Sure. His order. And so for a woman to have short hair, like I'm not saying like a bob, like right. you know, that I'm not saying that, but like a short hair, like shaved, shaved, you know like a with a fade or whatever right. like it's not reflecting it's not a, an outward demonstration of how God created you. Right. God created you as a woman to have long hair. Absolutely. And that is a distinguishing factor in gender. Right. And it's a distinguishing factor of how God created you. Right. So to do anything otherwise you're actually not reflecting God. Right. Honorably. Sure. Sure. And I'm thinking it will go into even almost denying the image of God within you, which should be shown outwardly. I love the saying that um, God created us in his image that his image would be shown, Mm -hmm. right? And I believe that we deny that when we alter that. And then on top of that, we cause confusion when we do that. Is that a man or is that a a boy or is that a girl? Is that a ma'am or is that a sir? And we cause confusion. and And that's not God's heart. God's heart is clarity. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace, right? And when we get out of order, right, I I tell my kids like, hey, you know, confusion breeds chaos and chaos opens the door for sin, right? And we see that happening whenever we don't follow uh, the rule and practice that is set out for us in design, right? Yeah. So confusion leads to chaos. Mm -hmm. Chaos leads to sin. Yes. And that's kind of the the outline of what Paul addresses and how he addresses issues seven in how he addresses issues in chapter seven through 16. Right. You're confused, which is causing chaos and it's leading to a lot of sin. Yes. Right. You're confused about the spiritual gifts. Right. It's leading you to put one over the other. Right. Which is chaotic. Yep. Right. People are speaking in tongues and everyone's speaking at the same time and it's just chaotic. And ultimately it'll lead you to say, my gift is better than yours, right. which is divisive, which is sin. And that's kind of the outline. I'm glad you said that because it, it, it literally outlines what Paul addresses in chapter 7 through 16. Right. 
And so just a few things to before we go any further, some things to keep in mind. Cultural ways of showing respect and honor vary from culture to culture. True. It is actually sinful, or not sinful, it is actually disrespectful to not call a woman ma'am. Right. Or a oh, man sir. Sure. In certain cultures, yeah. Right. In certain certain areas, even in certain parts of the country. So in this particular setting, and it kind of bleeds into bleeds into our culture now, especially within the church, there are ways to show respect and to show honor within the church. For them, it was disrespectful for women to worship with their head uncovered. Right. And obviously, we can kind of throw in uh, personal examples from our culture today, culture within the church. But we also have to remember that Paul's concern has to do primarily with order and peace in worship. Right. So if your custom as a church is to wear flip-flops or wear Hawaiian shirts or wear a hat, if you do something that would kind of disrupt that, like using an extreme example of like walking in wearing a bikini or really short shorts like right. you're disrupting right. order not only are you causing others to stumble but you are disrupt you're you're now you're now the you're you are now the focus right as opposed to the preaching and, sure. and teaching of god's word yep you are now you are now the focus taking the focus off of god making worship in the church disorderly mm. another thing to to remember is that Paul communicates the need for proper man and woman distinctions, mm. the gender distinction. So in our culture today, if you wear certain clothing, if you have your hair, if you wear your hair a certain way, culturally, it shows that you are in rebellion. Right. Culturally speaking. Yep. So in our day and age now, if you wear certain things, if you wear your hair certain ways, if you... If you present yourself in a certain way, you are aligning yourself with the sinful culture as opposed to the order and respect and honor of the church. Right. That is part of our so yes, the way we present ourselves in our in our churches matters. Mm. It really matters because we don't want to be a distraction because we want to image God correctly right. and honorably. So we talked about this earlier, but in verse 16. Uh, he says, but if one is inclined to be contentious. So is Paul saying, hey, don't fight over it. It's not, it's a non-issue. Right. So don't even, don't be, don't even worry about it. Right. Or is he saying, I don't want you to do anything differently. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I believe it's, it's, it's the latter because I don't believe he makes these arguments. The arguments in themselves are contentious. Yeah. Right. And so I don't believe he makes a contentious argument and then it says, if it's contentious, forget about it. Yeah. Right. That's and true. So I believe that the the proper translation of that um, is surprisingly in the New Living Translation, and I and I'll read it. It, it says simply this. Um, but if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say we have no other custom than this very one, and neither do God's other churches. And so he's saying that hey, if you want to argue about it or you just disagree, it is what it is. Let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm. Right. Because what he's doing is, is he's safeguarding the glory of God. Yeah. Right. He's safeguarding the order and worship in the church. And he gave three great reasons from the pattern of the Godhead to distinctive gender roles to con considering the angels. Right. And he's like, if that isn't enough for you, nothing will be. Mm -hmm. Right. If that's not enough for you, nothing will be. Just like Jesus said, if the resurrection is the sign, not the only sign you're going to get is the, is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Yeah. And if that ain't enough, you won't believe if someone came from the dead. Right. And so I believe that's what he's saying. 
It's that serious. Yeah. So in summary, if, if you don't like what we're talking about, right? If you're listening and you're like, no, you guys like, you may not even, even listen this far into the episode, but if you have, and you're still disagreeing, Paul outlined several reasons as to why this should be a reality. And even then, if you don't believe what he's saying, he says, you got to deal with it because we have no other practices in the church. Right, right. And I, and I will conclude with this. Those three reasons he gave, pattern of Godhead, gender distinction, and the angels, they're not culture dependent. Mm. Like like those those three things travel, right? They're universal. Yeah, because, they don't change. Yeah, because some people will say, well, it was a cultural thing. Right. Right. It was a cultural that's thing. That's why he said that's why he said what he said. It, right. That only you know that those three things are sufficient in every culture. But I would say this the way that they're applied do depend on culture. Right. Right. So and, the, and, yeah. and that's why you gave the example of the Hawaiian shirts and the flip flops and then someone in a bikini, right? The goal is that when they did that in that culture, their head shaved, they represented a prostitute. Yeah. When a man covered his head, he represented a Roman Gentile pagan worshiping their God. Mm-hmm. They disrupted the order of worship in the church, thus grieving the heart of God, um, dishonoring God's gender distinction, and grieving the angels. Right. Amen, bro. All right, we're going to transition. So that's head coverings. Head coverings, amen. If you are inclined to be contentious, right. we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Let the church so, follow they may. Let's move on. <laughs> amen. Uh, so verse 17 through 34, we got to roll through this. Yeah, we do. Definitely. All right. So um, verse 17, he kind of transitions and he begins to rebuke them. So now he transitions into talking about their behavior when they gather for the Lord's Supper. And to kind of sum it all up, the more wealthy believers, because this is Corinth, this sure. is a, a a melting pot of believers. You got Gentiles, you got Jews, you got rich Gentiles, you got poor Jews. It was just a multitude of, it's just a very diverse group. Right. And so essentially what he's talking about is that when they gather for the partaking of the Lord's Supper, the wealthy believers are arriving drunk and engorged. Mm. So they're getting there early. They're partaking in it without the believers there, the other believers there, and they're not leaving anything for them. Right. So just imagine you as a as a poor believer. You've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You're excited to come, you know, to the agape feast, so right, to speak. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. The church potluck. Yeah. And you get there. This is one of the the main sources of your sustenance throughout the week. Right. You get there, and it's gone. And not only is it gone. Obviously, in addition to the heartbreak that you would feel in not proclaiming the Lord's death and right. and the resurrection, right? But you have to deal with a bunch of drunk, fat people, and yet you're supposed to be united? Right. That's a significant issue. And so this is what he goes into as he transitions from talking about head coverings and that church order to this. Right. And even in verse 22, you read it so well, he says, what? What are you guys doing? (laughs) Yeah. You're actually despising the church of God. Yeah. And not only that, you're despising those who have less than you. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Right. Yeah. Shameful. And I, and I think, again, it goes back to order, right? It goes back to design and purpose. 
what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, right? And when you gather and you operate outside of design and purpose, destruction and chaos always ensues. Yeah, so um, starting at verse 23 all the way to 26, this is, so if your church regularly practices the Lord's Supper or partakes in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which it should uh, pretty regularly, this is usually quoted as you partake in the Lord's Supper together. Right. Right. So in verse 23, uh, which I referred to before um, when we went through verses 1 and 2, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And then he explains the the foundational principle of why we come together to partake in the Lord's Supper. I love that he says, For I received and then I delivered. Right. Paul, as an apostle, has every right to deliver this and not only deliver it, but to correct it when it's going haywire, right. when it's being done incorrectly. Right. Yeah. I received it and I delivered it to you. And he refers back to the night before Jesus was crucified. He says, um, starting in verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, referring to Jesus, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mm. So here, he he doesn't leave any excuse to be disorderly or to be selfish right. and not allow the poor believers to partake in it with you he leaves no excuse because it he grounds it in jesus's own words right you need to stop because our lord the one who established our church right the one who made it possible for us to be one body this this meal is grounded in his death right it's not just words that he that he put on paper mm. he grounded it in the crucifixion right and that had to be one of the most humbling things to hear from the apostle ball as a corinthian like just imagine like one of those fat drunk guys who has the tendency to misuse the lord's supper in corinth hearing this from the apostle paul yeah i think his, his high is probably ruined yeah <laughs> yeah he's definitely not drunk anymore yeah <laughs> super sobering to right. say the least very very and I and I love just to reiterate for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim like that word means to herald. Mm -hmm. You you're preaching the Lord's death. And I believe when he said when Paul says that, he means the whole gospel, meaning the life, the sacri the sacrifice on the cross, the burial and the resurrection and ascension. You're literally preaching that until he comes back. And I love that he says till he comes, because do you want him to come while you're doing that? Ooh. Do you want him to come while you're drunk off the Lord's Supper? That's true. Right? Do you want him to come back? That's why he says you're preaching that until he comes back. This is the activity you're consumed with until he comes back. And this is how you're doing it? Ouch. Oh, my. Right? Oh, my. But Yeah. So the last thing I want to address with you, bro, is how Paul says in verse 27, he says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Mm. That's heavy. Mm. So that's, he just explained what an unworthy manner is. Mm. And so, although 
we may not experience that in the church today because very few churches, like a very few churches, use actual wine right. when they partake in the Lord's Supper. Right. So that's that kind of eliminates that aspect of it. Sure. But I do believe that we still partake in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Right. So can you kind of walk us through what that could look like in our day and age, like now? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, first, I, I think to reiterate... Uh, unworthy, it, it's irreverent, right? right? And so in an irreverent way, um, when we come with reverence, we're coming with the awe and the adoration and the godly fear of the Lord. And so when we do it in an unworthy manner, we're, we're actually bringing him down. I think I think we're, you know, the Lord sits on high, right? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Mm-hmm. We're bringing him back down to our level. And a scripture that comes to mind, I don't know the exact address, where he says, you thought I was like you. You guys thought I was like you, but I'm not, right? And the Bible says, who is like who is a God like the Lord? And so I think when, when, we, when we look at unworthiness, we are pretty, it, it comes to a point of idolatry where we're, we're changing the image of God and we're not discerning, right, and recognizing, one, what we're doing, and two, how we're doing it. Mm-hmm. God gives us a prescription on how he is to be worshipped. God sets the standard on how we're to participate in these practices. I don't think it's just a going through the motions. I believe there's a spiritual, there's spiritual realities behind what we're doing. Right. So, so thinking of unworthy, right? And I, and I think this can look like. Uh, let's start with the internal, right? This can look like me taking communion while practicing active sin. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm in the middle of, of my porn addiction and I'm not convicted. Right, I'm. I'm just. I'm not even trying. I, I'm just like this. It is what it is. Type of a flippant attitude with sin. I think that's very unworthy. Right, in the old covenant, if when we look at like I, I believe it's like bringing leprosy to the camp. Right, is right. there's 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 inward sin that's coming outward, and we want to participate in the sacrifices. Right, it's like the the high priest going in behind the veil without first cleansing himself. Right, mm-hmm. um, and I think we do that a lot. And I'm not saying. You know, anyone who's listening, I'm not saying that, hey, if you're struggling with sin, don't take communion. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your attitude towards your sin when you come to the Lord's table can put you in a position of taking it in an unworthy manner, right? I think that's one way, inwardly, a heart condition, right? And then I think, like, when we do it uh, outwardly, again, it's it's the the way we do it and not— really um like i see a lot of churches they'll just they really won't give instruction they'll just okay we're taking communion and then they won't reiterate hey wait a minute hold on this is you know we typically read this passage like you said first mm-hmm. corinthians uh first corinthians 11 yeah and we say what it is why we do it and um i think at our church uh pastor dave will normally say hey one we first look back at the cross right? right what jesus did for us then we look within if there be any wicked way in us right uh examine our hearts before god yeah and then we look forward to the day that we'll take it with him in heaven. I think that's great because it does set the stage for understanding. And now I can know, okay, if I am flipping about sin, I can deal with it right now. Yeah. Right? I can deal with it. And so I think um, when we're not examining ourselves within, we're not truly looking back to what Jesus did for us on the cross, which humbles us and prepares our heart to take that. And then when we don't look forward ultimately on when we take it with Jesus again in heaven. So like we're getting a, a, a foreshadow or a foretaste 
of us sitting at the the real Lord's table, right? The right. the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to take it with Jesus in heaven. And so I think that's some of the the ways we can take it unworthily, not not recognizing that. And sometimes it's out of ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just they don't care. And sometimes it's just this is what we've always done. And I think that the tradition part is also un, in an unworthy manner, right? Right. You mentioning the the not like being in sin mm-hmm. and uh, that that point of clarification that you gave reminded me of how I used to approach communion when I was going to the Catholic Church, mm. where obviously you take your first communion when you're like in fifth or uh, sixth grade, right. fourth, fifth, sixth grade, depending on when, when you start catechism. So you take your first communion at that point, but you have to continue going back for confession like mm. every every couple months right. so that you may prepare yourself mm. to receive the communion. Like my right. mom, like whenever I would, uh, we would be sitting in church together and it would be communion time and I would kind of go to stand up because they line up right. at the, they line up like in the aisle and then the father yeah, gives right. it to you. Right. And like they even tell us like how to ha- have our hands, mm. which hand to pick it right. up from or you can just like take it um like he can place it right. in your mouth but she would kind of hold my hand like wow. she would keep me down right. saying like no you haven't done you haven't gotten a confession wow and i was like oh well, yeah you're right like right. i didn't right. know any better sure. so i was yeah. just like you know what yeah i actually haven't gotten to communion so or uh to confession so i'm not i'm not gonna go up right right which is kind of a distorted like the premise of it is I think it, this is this is where they get it from, right? Of course, like unworthy yeah, manner, sure. like hey, if you haven't confessed your sin, then right. you shouldn't partake in the Lord's For supper. Sure. And I I heard a story of it was communion time, and someone walked up to the table at the front of the church, like on their phone. Oh wow! Paul describes some physical symptoms, right? from doing that right so he says for he who eats so obviously we have the spiritual aspect of being guilty of the body and the blood of the lord which is pretty serious yeah verse 29 says for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks in judgment to himself for he does not judge the body rightly Mm. for this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep Mm. or a number are are dead dead. yeah so that could be like referring back to how they were partaking in the Lord's Supper, right? right? They were getting drunk for sure. and were engorged. So right. a lot of them, now that we we know what happens to the body when you eat too much and when you drink too much, right. like a lot of them may have just died because of Glutton. eating and drinking a lot. Right, right. Right, we know that that has a specific aspect, that has a specific effect on the body. But do you actually think that people were literally dying because, or we're literally sick because they were approaching it this way? Do you think, like, God plagued them with a sickness? Right, right. I mean, that's that's a great question. And, you know, obviously we, we don't have the context or the historical what we need, but I would say this. An example that comes to mind is often throughout biblical history, God will make examples out of people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is he said that what? That all may fear, right? Yeah. And you see examples in Scripture, Ananias and Sapphira, Nahab and Abihu, right? And the reason Ananias and Fire Acts five, they lied to the Holy Spirit, right? And he's and then he said once it happened, the all of them, the fear fell fell among the church, right? Fear yeah. that reverence fell amongst the church. I do believe um, that they were plagued, 
I, you see that in scripture. You see that example in, um, I want to say it's Numbers, with, with uh, Phineas. And they, they were having drunken orgies, you know, um, and Phineas hit him with the javelin. And then and then the plague was, like, he stopped the plague. Yeah. And he said it was a covenant of peace he made with them. And so I really do believe that it's very, very possible that they, like, they were getting struck with plagues mm-hmm. for, for not discerning the Lord's body and doing it in an unworthy manner. And I think when, if you're listening and you're like, oh, man, that's kind of harsh. God is harsh. You have to remember the the church was the example of Christ, right? Yeah. Uh, well, Christ is the example, but the church was supposed to represent, like Israel was supposed to represent God's light. And when they didn't, God made examples out of people of, of what violating a holy God can do, right? right? And it's about God's holiness, is that he set apart, back to that scripture I said earlier, you thought I was like you, right? God is not like us. He's higher than that. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. Um, and he is deserving of the proper worship, honor, and reverence due to his name. Right. And when we violate that flippantly, right, there's judgment that we do invoke upon ourselves. And when God does it, the beauty is it's always loving because that's who he is. Yeah, and that's exactly what Paul says in verse 32. But when we are judged, we are disciplined mm. by the Lord yes, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Mm. So all of... Yeah, it's for an example, right? An example so that you don't die right. or receive those plagues sure. as the world does sure. and the world did, right? Amen. And then he hinges all of that with what he says in uh, verse thirty-three. He says, "So then, my brethren, based off of everything that I've said, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Everything that I've outlined, everything that I've described that is being done incorrectly, and correcting that, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Mm. So all of this." is dependent upon just all you got to do is wait right why why is that such a significant thing that he is that he is emphasizing because they're supposed to partake in the death burial and resurrection of christ and his his soon to be return right together right you are one body right when you're together you are orderly mm, yes you are representing your God. Right. That's all I got. Amen. That's good. No, that's good. That's good. Amen. That's real good. <clears throat> so, to kind of sum it all up, regarding head coverings, based off of this passage, I I think both of us have the conviction that women should have a, a long hair if they're able. Right. Or at least a woman's cut. Right. Men should not wear mm. any type of covering when they're praying. Right. Meaning all hats are off right all of those things and we should approach the lord's supper in the way that jesus intended it for it to be partaken in right reverential yes take it seriously right and even from the lutheran view they actually believe that it empowers them to continue moving forward right it's a means of grace right yeah Yeah. it is it is a meal just like when you wake up in the morning and you want to eat because you're hungry and you can't go throughout the rest of your day without it right this is how they see the lord's supper which you know which is kind of cool actually um so do you have any additional thoughts yeah yeah just the back on the like head coverings in the um with the men i want to just reiterate uh gender distinction is that god has a place in an order for gender male and female made he them and so uh there's a huge emphasis on being able to distinguish a a male from a female 
um, yeah. in God's economy because he has a, a distinct purpose for each of them, right? So if you're listening like, well, he said you better come out here. No, what we're saying is it needs to be clear what gender you represent, right? right? And in our culture today, the issue is it's not clear. And so we don't know what place and, and where and who an individual is when God made distinctives, pronouns to represent each of the gender, which is one in A and B, right? Which is male and female. And mm -hmm. I, we live in a culture today where that's not clearly distinguished and it causes confusion, which causes chaos, which opens the door for sin, right? right? And so um, these things of what Paul put forth are not culture dependent, they're eternal. And however, the outworking of them is dependent upon the particular culture, but they, they are to be seen and reverenced in every culture. Right. Amen, bro. Amen. Appreciate you taking the time uh, to unpack this. Uh, my, my honor. My honor. Pretty difficult passage. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, which is now X. If you listen on Spotify, make sure you follow and click the bell icon to get notifications for new episodes. And if you truly enjoy this content and want to go the extra mile to support us, become a subscriber for $4.99 a month and you will get exclusive access to subscriber only episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the show if you haven't already. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Christian Mears. And I'm Joshua Camper. Grace and peace, family.